an Ironic Media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. All right, today on the podcast, I have Jessica Pettit, and she is a diversity training expert, and she incorporates her training as a comedian to handle these really tough topics. Jessica is so authentically Jessica, and I love it. In this episode, we talk about why connection is so important, and you'll be surprised to hear what is keeping us from connecting and actually even being better employees or better people. Jessica and I had a lot of laughs in this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and send us a review on Apple. We love to know how we're doing and let us know on Facebook or Instagram what you want to hear more about. But for now, here is Jessica Pettit. Let's get started. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. Today on the podcast, I am Jessica Pettit, and she is so beautiful, such a wonderful human being. I met her probably 25 years ago. We were living in New York City, and she happened to be living right below me. She is from the South, so she's super Southern and wanted to meet everybody and be friendly with everybody, which was fine with me because like, I'm just open to meeting anybody. So Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. And still being one of my best neighbors I've ever had. So oh, I love it. I love it. So actually, this funny story. So when I was coming out to my family, I was like, oh, she does diversity training at a university. I was like, hey, do you want to help me while I'm coming out with my family? Like, or watch while I come out to my family, see what it's like, witness it. And you were like, sure, this is weird, but sure. So you sat there. I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure which family member I was actually talking to at the time. It might have been my brother, Joe. No, because he was in person. Somebody on the yeah. phone, right? It was on the phone. You were practicing with me because you were nervous, as we all would be. I mean, in some ways, I think we're told to say we're nervous about rejection, but I think it's just as nervousy to be really actually embraced as well. Hmm. And you never know how that's going to go in a coming out process. But if I remember correctly, it was a conversation you were trying to have with your mother because your mother was coming in person. Or like, I was like urgency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there was urgency for sure. In the end, I wound up telling her while she was getting a burger at an airport, <laughs> my dad. And But anyway, it's so funny how it all worked out because I'm one of the lucky people who was embraced by my family. And they were actually angry with me for not telling them sooner. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I've been suffering over here and you're now angry at me for this even more. So Jessica was awesome for helping me through that. And she helps many people through that. Your whole purpose in life at this point right now is to help people to recognize the diversity that is all around us and to help create a world where we feel safe to connect, right? Right. I mean, the idea of bearing witness to people's pain or suffering, but also bearing witness to possibility and privilege and the ability to do something that really increases the amount of belonging in the world is a wonderful thing to do. I think one of the coolest things that 
has a, a pattern that has come up with people who sit through my workshops or my read my books or whatever, is that I am an invitation for people to be themselves because by being themselves, they get to be themselves with other people. Mm-hmm. So, that's, well, that's- you embody the real you so well. Like, I just love you. I mean, you really, I, <laughs> yeah, you Even know, moment, Amy, I've been sheltering in place for a year. <laughs> but first of all, I love you because not only did yesterday I like screw up and I was like, Hey, I need to talk to you about the podcast. And you were like, Hey, I have this whole like website thing for you to look at. And you send me a picture of you doing your hair. And I'm like, coming back from coaching soccer. And like, there was no ego about it. It was just like, Hey, you just missed this. And it was really friendly. And that's who you are is you're just like, unassuming, non-judgmental, just really loving. And we need more of you in this world. That's for sure. Thank you. Also, we need to mention that you used to be doing comedy and I actually knew you when you were doing comedy. Yeah. You came to some of my early shows even. Yeah. I, I think that is amazing. I remember trying to encourage you to do it because I know you were scared, right? Everybody would be scared trying to do that. But you were going about it in such a cool way and and just very bravely doing it. So you use that now, right? To help deliver these tough messages. Can you tell us, first of all, how you got involved in all of this? Well, sure. And what's interesting about the the facade of a confident with it person <laughs> that you seem to be remembering, which is great. And I'm just as messed up as anybody else is, right? So not to like be Debbie Downer or something, but how I got into this is the ultimate question. I joke that I was raised by atheist liberals. They lived in Texas, so they weren't that atheist or that liberal, but to Texans, they were atheist liberals. And whether it was kind of just instilled in me of rooting for the underdog, but what does the underdog mean? is that there's some hypocrisy of how power is distributed. Mm -hmm. I didn't know those words in like third grade, but I remember in school, we had to do a research project and I decided to do something on the Holocaust because why not take a light subject as a fourth grader or whatever it was. (laughs) But because I'm so super extra, I took interviews and microfiche from the public library. I found living Holocaust survivors and interviewed them. Holy cow. um, Because I wanted to understand what it meant, right? Not just like the paragraph in a book. So I've always been that guy (laughs) that do this. What do you mean about this? Right. So So that was always very instilled and supported by my parents, libraries or librarians who were always like mythological creatures because they could always find the right answer. That just was kind of how I grew up, right? So then take that, put a pin in it. So then when my mother died, she had cancer. And when she died, I ended up going on my first international trip with a kind of work project from my undergraduate institution. I went to Kenya. And so it was kind of this joke, right? I grew up in a family of jokesters that what do you do with your mother's life insurance money? You go to Kenya. But it's because I didn't want to buy like a thing or books or something. So I wanted a life-changing event. So I went to Mm. Kenya. Okay, great. So then fast forward 10 more years later, I'm now in New York and my father actually died. And so then now what do I do with my dad's insurance money, right? Like I've already been to Kenya. What do I do? And at the time was like a raging alcoholic who was living my best life in New York City. So the idea of like paying rent seemed not good, (laughs) right? Like, no, I've got to think of something. So I was actually on the subway and reading Time Out New York 
saw that there was a class being offered at the new school for doing stand-up. And the final of the stand-up class was a set at Caroline's with like famous to be announced judges. And that just seemed absolutely horrifying, like (laughs) so nerve wracking and so scary and so over the top, but completely appropriate for who my dad was. So I took the class and then you came to some of the class presentation kind of things. And then doing the Caroline's thing led to me emceeing a lesbian comedy show that was a, a weekly show, which led to some other things. And so then I was really doing a lot of comedy shows, but mostly emceeing during the George Bush, John Kerry election for Democratic fundraisers. So then I I just kind of started doing that at night while working a day job at NYU at the time, the university. I, I didn't know if I was allowed to say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You're I remembered. Yeah. I mean, I was fired, but it's long. That's why I was saying. I was like, mm, I, I remember you got fired. So I didn't know if it was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They made a horrible mistake and they did it terribly. But that's called therapy. So anyway, yeah. so I had this day job and then I was doing stand up at night. And part of what I was doing in my day job which I would do again and again, but probably maybe in a different way. And also, if you're out there, manage up. Always pay attention to your supervisor. If they get a haircut, notice and act like you care. There you go. There's a little pro tip. So the work that I was actually doing at the universities was really showcasing how the university wasn't actually advocating for marginalized or silenced populations, whether they're LGBT or students of color or non-traditional students, et cetera. So my job was to point out how the university was underserving these students. Well, that pisses off the institution. So they get rid of me and my report. And I just (laughs) kind of kept doing that over and over again. So if you put all three of those things together, one, I'm basically unemployable. Let's just get that out there. (laughs) So I am now my own supervisor, which is karma all by itself. (laughs) And I talk to organizations and associations about their efforts to include and who that means they're intentionally excluding and who they're unintentionally excluding to work towards that like community feeling that they say they want but they're not necessarily doing that in their actions. Right. Now here I am. Yeah. I mean, you are a lot. I love you, but you know, you have to be ready to receive you. The reason why I love you is that there's really no judgment with you. There's just love. There's just like, hey, listen, these are the problems. Do the best you can with it, right? But yeah, at the same time, you do talk about these really tough subjects and people can be afraid of them. I think on your website, I read that you help people to have conversations that they would never want with people, meaningful conversations with people who they would never want to have a conversation with and how to do that. Well, I thought it was really interesting. Also, one of the papers that I found on your website was around this idea of covering, which is pretending to be something or covering up who you really are in a work environment. And it kind of was mind blowing to me, like to see a paper that looked at that where people are trying to fit in with the hopes of like creating more connection and more productivity. But in reality, it's actually causing disconnection and talents to not come forward that are really there. So that was really amazing to read about and something that we instinctively know that we really should be ourselves. We really should present all of us and not hide any part of us because it feels the best. That's where we're living in our highest and best good for ourselves and others. And then the more in touch we are with ourselves, the more compassion we have for others, I believe. And the more permission we give ourselves to be ourselves, the more permission we give others to be themselves. 
So it all makes sense. But how do you get companies to really embrace that understanding? Because then all of a sudden, I'm like, how do they really (laughs) make this conversion from like hiding parts of themselves to then exploring what it feels like to share those and then still not disrupting too much of the work environment and going in the right direction? That's tough. It is and it isn't. And part of what makes it not tough is that everything you just said is completely true. And anyone listening to it knows exactly what you mean and where they fit into what you just said. So I don't have to convince anybody about its truth. What I have to do is convince people that they don't have to do that anymore. Right. And that it's self-perpetuated and self-created And then you feel the need that you have to do it because you created the role that you feel that you have to do. If we use this as a metaphor, because I am certain that this is going to show up in the audio, I have dogs, in case (laughs) anyone was wondering. Uh, There are three 80-pound dogs that run the entire house and they are currently barking, right? So if I use this as a metaphor in a podcast... That is not good. That is ambient background <laughs> noise. It's going to drive you crazy. Mark is going to be upset with that. <laughs> My producer. Right. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just kidding. He's fine. Uh, with it. I, I know, but I mean, it's just a, a thing, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I have an external microphone that makes it even louder. I have headphones that I can use that actually do something weird to my voice. So I have done the work that I have done on my side to produce the best audio file I can to anybody who's doing a podcast, let alone a friend. So I've tried, I've done, I've gone to school. And the reality is, is that in this particular moment, there is clearly some (laughs) rodent in my backyard and I can't do a damn thing about it. My husband is teaching classes. He can't do a damn thing about it. Neither of us can get up. So the tension between he and I, like, are they going to get up and get the dogs to be quiet? Eventually, we will realize that the other person is doing something that is not interruptible and we're just both living through the barking dogs. Now, I'm bringing that up because there's what's going on at home and what's going on at work. We like to think that we keep them separate. And in some ways, one of the biggest gifts that come out of COVID is that our personal and our professional life have had to blend together. Like I've seen more cat butts than I really ever thought I would in my life. (laughs) Or kids showing up or like, Mm -hmm. we used to critique people's screensavers and now you're looking at someone's living room, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so there's third wall has broken in a way that's actually really wonderful. But if we keep the same kind of expectations of a personal and a professional life, then what ends up happening is that each player is being who they think the other people want them to be. Mm. And so then if all people are doing this, then if all people stop doing this, then what you end up doing is actually falling back onto the values or for lack of better words, the soul of the organization and that you were brought here because you're in line with that soul, not because of your potential, but because of who you were to begin with. So now we're like dismantling the recruitment process and the interview process Because I've worn clothes for interviews I would never wear in real life, but (laughs) I'm trying to like present my best self, right? So if our best self is our self, not the potential or the ideal self, because the potential and the ideal self isn't who is showing up right now. So then by encouraging groups or teams or memberships or supervisors or something to stop encouraging or feeding a potential self of another, then what it is, is that it's actually recognizing the time and energy it takes to show up as is, 
which allows for more creativity, which is also saying allows for more failure, but it's because I am actually trying something new. Well, that's called innovation or initiative. And ultimately, when we start talking about retention of employees or making money or retention of customers, we're asking people to belong as they are, not as who they think you want someone else to be. Right. So it's quite easy to dismantle. It's just doing it collectively and having the confidence to just be fallible that is actually your biggest money maker and your best retention tool. That's so true. When I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about how I was on the podcast talking about the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. And when we're pretending to be something, there's like a a disconnect in the fifth chakra, which is how you speak your truth to others and you speak your truth to yourself. So when you sense that disconnection or that pretending, your fight or flight gets turned on. It's like, will I be found out? So your fight or flight is on and therefore you're not in your highest and best good. You're not in your creative energy. You don't have access to your intuition or creativity and your immune system is suffering. So this is why I encourage people to be authentic because it winds up making them be a better person because they're healthier because they're not in the fight or flight. And they're also able to explore more of who they truly are and present that to the world. So, I mean, I think from a scientific perspective, we could just look at it like that. But really what you're doing is encouraging people to be who they are and and like cut the bullshit out. Like I remember back in the day, I used to work for somebody and most people, if they started working for this person, they would think I need to get the really nice clothes. I got to get the nice car. I got to pretend to be something. And I was like, first of all, Amy, there's no way that you can compete with this type of reality that you're thinking that you're supposed to. So I was like, I'm going to take myself out of that race. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just not going to care. And I truly did not. And I think I was loved by them more because I was like not interested in impressing them. Right. And what a key piece of that too. So if party A is wearing new clothes and driving a new car to be something that they think party B wants and party B is asking them to come, what's showing up isn't who they asked to come. Right. Like as as a small business owner, people are always like, oh, my God, Jessica, you're like so on brand, like all the time. (laughs) And just that sentence makes me like Windex my eyeballs. I'm not on brand. I'm just you're Jessica. Me. Right. And there are a lot of people. There's a long line. Most of them are Scorpios that do not like me. Mm -mm. No, they are not a fan. (laughs) But they, at least even in not being a fan, they know exactly what they're getting. Right. And that's been really, I mean, there's a lot of therapy involved in this, but I don't even know how to be myself, let alone be somebody else. But if I like really strive and deal with imposter syndrome and all this stuff, but the tools I'm working with are just me, then at least it's not some additive thing that I also am having to negotiate. Like, This is just me as I am. And I have imposter syndrome. I constantly worry that I'm like in the wrong place at the right time or some kind of like fraud or somebody's (laughs) going to find me out that I'm a weirdo, right? So I lead with being a weirdo. I'm open about being fired. I'm open about being, I've been sober for like 18 years. I'm Mm -hmm. open about being a queer person. I'm open about not knowing anything like So even at the top, when you mentioned like asking me a question yesterday, I knew I could get you the website, but I couldn't do it on my phone. And I was in the middle of getting my hair done. Now, truth be told, I was in the car about to drive home from getting my hair done. 
So I could have taken an after shot and been like, look at my new hair, right? But like, why? The last picture that I have is me in the dryer with the foils and everything. Yeah. And that is also why I couldn't get you the information that you needed directly. So I told you how to get there. And it is funny, the humility and ego piece. I don't know if we should get into that part, but yeah. like, yeah. The realness of explaining to you in the real moment why I was not able to answer your email faster with the full information instead of sending you on a goose chase for it is because I was getting my hair done, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't and, lie. Yeah. And and, then, and in reality, I was looking for warm clothes so I could coach for the next hour. My son, a bunch of fifth, five-year-olds and six-year-olds. So like the two of us are like super busy being like, hey, can't wait to connect. But like what also was really cute about your picture that you sent, and I wanted to send an email back. But again, I was like then home and making dinner and getting eight into bed and all that other stuff was like, I was like, I wonder what color it is. <laughs> Like, I want to know. And the first thing when you signed on, I was like, oh, my God, it's blue. But then you were like, no, it's a little purple. And I'm like, I can see the purple, but I see the blue. Yeah, the blue is stuck. It is really, really pretty. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. We were trying for some ombre thing, and I don't know that it worked, but you can't see my roots. And that is what matters. (laughs) And and honestly, I mean, I almost said it. It's like so on brand for you to send me a picture of you in foils. Like, I would not expect you to send that. If you were like, hey, does it look really good? I'd be like, that's not really Jessica who I know. It's like you're like goofy and real and, and made pies for all the people who lived in our building. But like, that's who you are. And it's true. And for the record, I don't know how to bake. They were frozen Cool Whip pies. <laughs> That's it. It's frozen Cool Whip with this is the secret. So I'm telling you, we are revealing some secrets on this podcast today. So it's two thirds of a can of lemonade concentrate stirred in to generic Cool Whip. Brand name Cool Whip does not freeze as good. Generic Cool Whip, two thirds, not a whole can, two thirds of a can of frozen lemonade. Stick it in a pie crust, stick it in a freezer, and then people think you bake. Oh. You're welcome. I'm sorry that I missed that whole experience back then. I had moved in too late for the frozen Cool Whip lemonade pie. (laughs) Chances are your roommate still had it in the freezer because I'm sure they were all terrified of it. it Probably. Yeah, she was was a little fearful. (laughs) Intense. She was intense. Okay, we'll say that. But she's a very, very lovely girl. Very nice. Like if a camel coat could be personified in the person who probably owned multiple camel coats. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that's so, first of all. Like spinning weirdos. That okay, wait, you had a roommate? Oh, wait, it was a guy, right? At one I point it was many roommates because I was Baroque. So yeah, good. I was just going to say, like, it's so crazy to think that we had these random people that we were living with. Like, I didn't know the girl that I lived with. I mean, she was based on a recommendation and I needed a place to live. My my principal recommended her. And I was just like, OK, sign me up. But like, it's okay. just so expensive. You're just like, and we shared a bathroom. And I'm pretty sure she hated me for that. She was just what, very particular. And I grew up. Like maybe two or three years after I moved out. I'm assuming one of the rooms in your apartment probably had this too, but I had this big dome light that hung above the room that was where my bed was. It is important to mention for anyone who's never lived in Brooklyn, none of these rooms were bedrooms. Right. This is a shotgun apartment that was like piecemeal together. Not the best place I've ever lived. I had to sleep in a single bed in that room that I had, quote unquote room. And I probably paid $1,200 or $1,300 or something like that for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I had this big globe light did y'all have the big globe light uh-huh. yeah yeah 
So three years after I left, some random person called me because the light bulb went out and they couldn't figure out how to open it to get the light bulb to change. Like that to me is the quintessential New York City move. So I have not lived in the state for three years, but it was easier to track me down and ask me how to change a light bulb that I have never changed. I have no idea. Than it was to ask the landlord how to do it. That's nuts. That's really funny. Welcome to New York. Yeah, anyway. New York. And can we just for one second mention how beautiful that lady was on the corner that did laundry and folded the clothes? Oh, ever get? oh she was amazing. Oh that was like gosh. a superhero move there. Every time, just the way she folded those clothes and got them into a bag and you could carry it. <laughs> it Incredible. Amazing. amazing. Yes. I, yeah. So grateful yeah. for her. So, okay, let's get back to what we were talking about. What do you mean? Uh, Are we off topic? No, no, no. So you... Humility and ego. Yeah, yes, exactly. And your book, Good Enough, now. So that would be that double horse. So go ahead, talk about it. (laughs) Sure. So when people ask me quite often about how do you do both of these things? So like ego, if we talk about being your authentic self, right? Is that I think ego gets confused with competitive and there's healthy competition and there's unhealthy competition. So how do you know which one you're doing? And the answer is because if you're like, oh no, I'm not doing it, you're probably doing it, right? So if you're defensive about it, there's a reason you're defensive. But humility also isn't just about being like weak or meek or Mm -hmm. little or small. It takes a lot of strength and self-awareness to be humble and what that means. So I, being from Texas, have turned them into horses. And so I often say (laughs) that in order to do this work, I have to ride two horses at one time and chances are you do too. A horse of humility and a horse of ego. And if you are spending too much time on one horse, your friends will tell you. And so there are times where like, if you think about someone who just recently broke up, for example, so they're doing a deep dive into a pint of ice cream last for months. There's lots of sex in the city watching happening. And then all of a sudden they're like, let's do it. It's girls' night right now. I'm making this up because I can't imagine any of my friends actually doing girls' night. We would actually threaten to do it, get all dressed up and be asleep by nine now. But that is called aging. Anyway, but that is an example of when you switch horses, right? Is that you're like, I'm doing this. And sometimes we have to encourage someone to switch horses. Sometimes you switch horses yourself. Sometimes you're on the ego horse way too long and you probably get knocked off either by your own karma or literally someone else because you're on your high horse too long. Mm -hmm. Being self-employed, ego is where I like write contracts from, close deals from, write copy on my website or marketing materials from. Because if you do those kind of things from humility, you're not going to make as much money. You're not going to close as many deals. You're not going to pitch yourself appropriately. Right. From humility is where I do my work. And that is that I might have been brought into a conversation as an expert and I'm going to talk to every single individual as if I have something to learn from them Mm -hmm. because I do, because Mm -hmm. I took an airplane to this group. I've never met any of you people. I only have something to learn from you. And by being open to that learning, I can ride the humility horse while also being quite confident at what my skill sets are. Mm -hmm. So it takes two horses. 
Yeah. I, I actually thanked my dad recently because he had that sort of mentality where he was open to learning from anyone anywhere. And and that's part of the podcast is just like everybody has something to teach us through their dark night of the soul and how it can spur that next phase of their life where they're actually becoming even more who they are. In fact, actually, that was a lot my dark night of the soul was around this whole idea of like, well, I checked these boxes. I was a good student, a good kid, a good sister, whatever. And it didn't really get me. Yeah, I was a great neighbor, but it didn't get me to where I felt successful. It didn't get me to a place where I felt loved a lot inner love. And and so I was like, I'm done. Like I thought I, I did everything right. And then when I really started to own who I am and who I was back then, the more I stepped into, oh my gosh, this world is so amazing. Like giving myself permission to be who I am. I always say there's been lots of coming outs for me, one with being gay, but also like into the spiritual realm and with a website and then a podcast. And then all of it is just a lot of stepping into who I am and expressing it in the world without this like fear of rejection, though there is a small amount of fear or whatever that somebody's going to be like, fuck you, you're an idiot. (laughs) And I know they're out there, but I, I try not to focus on it. I stay in humility and say, okay, I don't know what I don't know. And I'm going to just because I'm expressing myself doesn't mean that other people don't have amazing things to express to me. I still want to learn from so many people like you. So that's why we have the podcast. And by we, I mean me and myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing that like your dark night of the soul was around this whole I'm not good enough. Oh, certainly. And still is. It seems a little presumptuous to say it's past tense. But I think the idea of enough and what that means. So I also was a excellent student, an excellent daughter, an excellent family member. And I don't know. maker. (laughs) (laughs) I still don't know how to bake. That has been a very unfortunate thing during this year. I don't know how to cook, but we are getting skinny. So that works out great. I think that there are moments that I turn to, I'm trying to decide like how dark deep to go, but there are moments- wherever you have to. I, I know, I know, I know. In thinking about like trauma or like sexual assaults or sexualized violence or just acts of violence that I have experienced across my life, when starting out of mid-teens kind of years, somehow, and I, I honestly, I don't know where I got this idea from. And in case anyone is taking notes, this is not a healthy response. So don't write it down. But I somehow wrote a story that there's like a certain amount of pain that has to occur in the world. I would be fascinated to see what like a practicing Buddhist would say about this. But there has to be a certain amount of pain and suffering that's happening in the world. And like, I'm a really strong person, so I can take it. Mm. So then more and more of these things have to happen to me in order for the quota to be met because other people are too weak or too fragile to be able to handle it. That is basically how I made it through middle school and high school, which also probably explains my sense of humor. But that's not true, right? Like it's it's not true that there's a quota of how much pain and suffering needs to occur. But it is more importantly, maybe not true that people are weaker than me or that I am stronger than other people. And that was a very hard thing for me to really pull apart because I felt like I always had to be strong to deal with the things that the weak people couldn't, which is in itself creating a power dynamic over everyone else until I found out something horrible had happened to them. And then I'd be like, oh, you're one of the strong ones too. Well, (laughs) it became this like fight club thing 
Mm. And then if I met someone who had never really had any violence or painful experiences, which by the way, they may have, they're just not sharing them with me. Mm-hmm. So before knowing about them, they all started off as less than, as like weaker people. But because of them, I felt the pressure to always be ramping up. Enough, the word enough has always been a very toxic word to me. And the older I got, the more like financially stable I got, the more mentally and emotionally stable I got, the more like contentment showed up in my life, not as a threat, but as like an achievement level. The word enough really shifted for me and what it means to have enough and what it means to be enough and what it means to be. When I think about ally or advocacy work, instead of putting the pressure on knowing everything, which is impossible, what if you just trusted the other person that they have done a resource inventory and determined you are the best person for them? They could be making a terrible mistake, but you're better than the other options in their life. Mm-hmm. And that that in itself is enough to be able to be there for them because they have determined that you are the best person for that conversation. That is really a different definition of strength and kind of leaning into what it means to be chosen in a way that isn't dependent on weakness, but is also not dependent on me having to not experience like the injustice or the unfairness or the pain and suffering that I did feel because I used to feel like I couldn't do that because I had to be super strong. So enough kind of blew out of both of those things. The idea of good and the idea of now really is basic premise that I believe everyone actually is trying to be good. Mm -hmm. How they're doing that might be questionable. They may be making wrong choices. Um, They may not be using all the resources they have access to. They may not be coming from a completely factual place. But I believe that everyone is trying to do good. So if you pair that with what you've got, it's like my motto is doing the best you can with what you've got some of the time. Then the some of the time piece, it you're in control of your own sense of urgency. And it's not about waiting until you're perfect because mm. waiting means you're not doing anything, which is also a form of a response. Mm-hmm. So then that's how I wove them all together. Do the best you can with what you got some of the time. It's good enough now. I love it. What are some what are some of the things that you've learned that people are really struggling with? And like there's like a soundbite you can give them in your diversity trainings. Like what 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 have you come across the most? Like I guess people could probably come to you and say, like, Jessica, I just don't feel like I can really be who I am. I don't think people will accept me, right? Like, what would you say to them? I think the most common thing, it's a great question. The most common thing right now is about being offensive. And so there's just so much fear in saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, offending somebody else, hurting someone else's feelings. Then we get kind of like more ego narcissist, right? Is that it's you don't actually care about the other person's feelings. You just don't want them to think you're a horrible person. Right, right. So yep. That kind of loop. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that saying nothing could still result in all of those outcomes. So saying something could result in all of those outcomes, but at least you did something. I usually try to dismantle that concept into instead of trying to never be offensive, what you're actually uncovering, what I'm actually, I mean, I I say this, like I'm still working on this too, but is that I feel entitled to all of the answers in advance. Well, 
You just sit with that, be alone with that, because who the hell said <laughs> you're entitled to all of the all of the answers, all of them. I want all of them in advance. I will file them away so that I will have them all. Wow, that's a big ask. Like this is coming from the same person who's like super stoked that I got a free donut hole as a bonus the other day. Like it takes nothing to impress me. But what I'm searching for is that large of an entitlement. Maybe there's a gap in between there and recognizing and taking responsibility for what your intentions are coming from your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Your intentions are also vulnerable because your intentions may also uncover things you didn't think about or your unconscious bias or something. But being vulnerable enough to be authentic so that you can be clear with your intentions that opens up the opportunity for actual curiosity. In conversation. Right. And being actually curious means you're going to engage in a conversation where you don't already know the answers. That's Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing. But we started back here entitled to knowing all of the answers. And now we've gotten to a place where we're curious because we don't know the answers. The ability to be generous with that. So like before you hit record, where I... I have nothing but the fondest memories of you and our friendship. And like other people, decades have passed, right? You've moved states. You got a kid. What? What's going on? <laughs> like we had to do a little catchy uppy, right? So like, when did you move? Oh, before my son was born. Hold, please. What? When was your son born? Like we have to start <laughs> over a little bit. That level of curiosity and you generously sharing and me generously sharing with you, like what's happened in the last 10 years doesn't impact our ability to be vulnerable or authentic with each other. We just haven't talked in a while. All right. Well, like now that we've experienced the elasticity of time, either I don't have any children, but my friends that have children, I literally say like, I will see you in three to five years. (laughs) And they're like, oh no, I'll give you a call in a month. And I'm like, oh, okay. See you in three to five years. (laughs) Because they don't know what their life is about to be like. And I mean, technically, I don't know what their life's about to be like either, but I have a lot more experience with new parents who don't know what they don't know than (laughs) they seem to, right? And then three and a half years, five years later, they feel like two weeks have passed. They're like, what was your name again? Oh, yeah, I liked you. (laughs) But can I enter those places? And I'm responsible for how I enter those places with curiosity and generosity and vulnerability and authenticity. And those four pieces are what I'm responsible for. And I'm 100% responsible for those things. So so what's a quippy piece of advice to someone else is something I just said rolled off of you, something I just said stung you, and something I just said made you be like, what was that middle thing? Right? So like, pay attention to the rolled off and stung and what was in between and then see what you can do there. That's being real and being authentic and on brand. But that level of authenticity means that you also don't know something. Yeah. It's amazing how much we feel like we should know all the answers, but yet cognitively know that that's impossible. <laughs> it's just, it's too big of an ask. And and you're well, not and supposed to know. Pretend- it it just goes back to the pretending, right? So like as a good Southern person, like not only am I seven, your son is seven. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Almost, I'm- yeah seven years behind on like gifts and cards and things like that. But 
the reality is, is that I would scurry to buy and be late doing it anyway. So doing it wouldn't even be that meaningful. But like, I don't know that. And in the moment, I have to find, am I a friend enough that I can survive the fact that I do not Facebook stalk you enough to know this factoid about you? And the answer is yes. Like a real connection. Like, I don't expect you to Facebook stalk me. Like, yes, it's you that I am interested in like and Mm -hmm. is value of the interest and the like what you do and who you are and where you're going, all that stuff is just extra business that we can catch up on. That that takes a consistent amount of confidence that I don't have been stumbled into, but I try. I've gotten better at being like, oh, I'm feeling very insecure right now because I did not know what I did not know. Now I know <laughs> what I didn't know and I'm going to have to be okay with it because I did not know that. All right, who cares? Let's do a podcast. Like, Right. Right. We're capable of it. We have the skills, but can yeah. we apply that more broadly? Right. Well, I'm not like sitting over here judging, being like, oh my God, how could she not know that I had a kid and that I live in Boulder and all this other stuff? I'm just like, hey, what, what have you been doing? Like, I mean, I kind of know what you've been doing. I, I know you're doing great things in the world. And that's all that matters to me. Same. And yeah, exactly. So I wanted to just mention the whole like having a kid kind of uh, like reality that they're in in their heads. <laughs> So I I think it's part of like an evolutionary process to like wipe clean the memories of any time where having a child was hard. <laughs> if you're about to have one, it's just like, oh, we want to have a child. Oh, we're going to wipe clean all these like... Only remember the bubbles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And outside people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. But then it's like, no, 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 everything's going to be fine. We're going to... Everything's going to go as planned. It's okay. We'll get together soon. <laughs> You don't know what you don't know, right? Because your brain has been wiped clean. (laughs) The other adorableness, and I don't mean this condescendingly, maybe to all the parents out there, but my friends that have now more than one child, the confidence that they are going in to this second kid situation. And it's just like, you've never had two kids. Just (laughs) want to point that out. Like, yes, you've had one kid before, but that's actually not this scenario. Like, (laughs) This is an additive situation. So you never done two kids. You think you're done, but yeah, good luck. I'll see you in three to five years. Like, I remember when uh, somebody first posted that they had their third kid and she goes, I'm officially outnumbered by hands. So she didn't have enough hands to grab the kids. And I was like, oh, wow, that is a problem. (laughs) That's funny. We do the same thing with our rescue dogs is we can't have more dogs than we do hands. That's funny. Yeah. I can having three 80 pound dogs. I have three under 15 pound dogs. <laughs> Each oh. one of them is like seven pounds and 10 pounds and 12 pounds. No, that's like one of their poops. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what I can't stand. I'm like, how do you do that? It's so much food and so much poop. Um, I'm in charge of the food. This is how we do this. <laughs> I'm in charge of the food and Lauren is in charge of the poop. So I never see it. I don't notice it. I do not pick it up. I do not throw it away. I don't walk in the backyard and I don't care. This works out great. Yeah, that's so nice. Isn't it funny how we just get into these routines in our lives where Fen and I are very much like a machine. We just, we, there's like an unspoken language where she handles certain things and I handle things. And lately I've been kind of just like looking at it from like a higher perspective being like, how do we do that? Like how she just takes the garbage out and does the recycling more often than I do. And I make the meals and I get the food. 
I mean, she makes some meals, but it's just kind of interesting how we do the stands and it's just energetic and flowy and nice. And we always talk and we're always open, but it's just, it's cute when you're in a good, solid relationship. Yeah. We, I mean, we occasionally have some conversations, obviously COVID led to some very interesting (laughs) conversations because a large part of our relationship is I traveled 300 days a year. Mm. So March 6th, I came home, put these sweatpants on and have not left this chair since March 6th. Like I'm the loudest extrovert that exists on the planet. And I'm married to a very quiet, thoughtful, introvert, internalized thinking philosophy professor. (laughs) Poor guy, Sin Fear. Sin Fear. (laughs) He has a little building in the back. He's got his little man caves. That's probably helpful. There have been a couple of like overnight day hikes or something that he's gone off to by himself. And I Zoom all, I mean, we both Zoom all day long, but it, it is fundamental to who we are to have the alone time that we have. I think the hardest part and what I've learned about myself is that novelty is really important to me. Making people laugh is critical, like religious level for me. Not that I don't make my husband laugh, but he's the same person over and over again every day. And he does not laugh at most of my jokes because most of my jokes aren't funny because I'm in the middle of writing them. But being able to recognize those things and then kind of psychically understand. So I do all of the cooking uh, because he does not cook. But he also has no relationship to food. So he's completely fine eating boiled potatoes every single day. I like a condiment. No, 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 no. We're not doing this. But I'm used to like room service. And so... Very early on in this pandemic situation, he realized that it's not just getting curbside pickup or something from a restaurant. It's that I don't want to make a choice. I want the food to like swoop in and then the dishes to disappear. Like that, that is what I want. I don't want to be like, oh, this is what I want. I don't know. Cause I'm used to like conferences or, Mm -hmm. you know, where maybe I make a choice, but usually I don't even make choices. It just shows up. Yeah. So anyway, it's worked. He does all the dishes, which is why I cook. Yeah, so, Fen, Fen will tell you she does all the dishes. <laughs> I do not do any dishes. I married a dishwasher. <laughs> oh, man. It's been so great talking to you. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? I think that it's a very important thing to constantly be reminded of that you will have more dark moments that from the dark moments come moments that make the dark moments seem less dark because what comes out of them is so light. I think that that's never old being reminded of that. Your, at least my like dark moments from the past also resurface both in patterns and in memories and usually lead to some great awakening or some, some new thing that I have. That's just how I, that's just part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I was running from my authentic self because I was trying to like Windex all the bad stuff away and then similar to being entitled to all the answers, right? Is that once I like arrived in shoots of ladders at my authentic self, none of that stuff would ever happen in like... Shoots and ladders. <laughs> that's that's not really how that works. So <laughs> no, the shoots and ladders itself is your authentic self. Are you referring to how shoots and... Are you talking about the serious game of shoots and ladders? Like where... Not serious, but the game where oh, you are sometimes... cutthroat in my house. <laughs> Yes. So Aiden does love to play that game, but sometimes you're like going all the way to the top and then you come all the way to the bottom. Is that what you're t- referring to? I yeah. love that. That's a great analogy. Sometimes you're all bad. 
You do. Oh my yeah, god. Oh, or or Candyland is the same thing. I mean, you could just you know be almost winning and then you're done. Yeah. <laughs> All the way to yeah. the beginning. But then you're like, Something wow, I should have been realized. I feel like we have just unearthed a very great thing. I did not realize Shoots and Ladders in Candyland is basically the same game. I was just thinking that. <laughs> did we know this? No. There's probably so many things that are the same. What kind of childhood scam is this? <laughs> they are basically the same game. I'm sorry. You were probably making a profound point and I was stuck. In well, like- well so, so here was what I was going to say. It's probably to have them start to realize. See, now I'm adding value here. They should have been grateful that they were almost there rather than assuming they would have won, like that there was still more to be done than resting on their laurels being so close. Because I have seen where you can just go right down. I mean, they they put in shoots and ladders, they put the ladder. I think it's one space before the end or maybe two, something like that. It's very close. So or maybe it's like one level right below. I don't know, whatever. But that that is a really powerful thing to remember is, is that and it goes back to the entitlement of all the answers is that you also think that you are entitled to the end of the game. Right. And that you want. Yeah. But it's, a, it's an important message for kids to, to learn how to reorient their brain to be like, oh, there's more work to be done. I'm not entitled to this thing necessarily. I got to roll better. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm almost terrified to say this one because I think you're trying to end up, but it's a soccer thing. So I have to do this and I will screw this up. I'm certain of it. But I was working with a board recently that is a economic development board for a small town. And then the Chamber of Commerce also exists. And they are both funded by the city, but to do different things. And basically mean girl competition stuff happened, which doesn't make any sense. And especially as an outsider, I'm like, you're a town of like 10,000 people. Collectively, your budget is under $100,000. What are you being mean girl about? Right. None of the stores are open. Everything's shut down. Like what? This is so obviously personal mm-hmm. that it has nothing to do with anything else. It was just ridiculous. So what I ended up doing, me choosing a sports metaphor is already a mistake, right? But <laughs> what I tried to explain to the Chamber of Commerce and this economic development, and so this is now shoots and ladders going soccer back to business and probably your own families. So is that the Chamber of Commerce and this business development group are not warring soccer teams. They are the same soccer team right. rooting for the same city. There is offense and defense, depending on what a business's need is, but they're the same team. And if you were in practice, you would be picking, you'd be making a team to compete with out of your own team. Right. But in actual play, you are the same team. Mm-hmm. And then in actual play, you're also the same league. And you have the ability to shift like what you're proud of or who the us, my team is mm-hmm. when you are in practice mode, when you are in game mode and when you are in league mode and you are in region mode and you're going to the world championship Stanley Cup soccer game. <laughs> you have the ability to adjust what your allegiance is to at the root of it. Your allegiance is to you and who you are and who you're contributing to on all of those levels. And if we can't be our authentic self when we are doing that, we are not playing the same game. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's important. Yeah. 
I've had to actually explain that concept to my kindergarten and first graders <laughs> on the soccer team. That exact concept of like, yeah, they won, but we're all on the same team. So like you won in practice, but when we go on the field in a week, <laughs> we're all on the same team. And those players I just won are also going to be the same players that are on your team. They're going to help you win. And they're like, oh, God. It, yeah, it's there's a lot of interesting conversations happening on the field. <laughs> on the field. The kindergartners just are so adorable. At least they're um, kindergartners and not like CEOs. But right, I know. Like, yeah, any of that mean girl stuff that's happening past teenagers, you're just like, oh, come on. Same, same. Yeah. Do you say same, same? Same, same. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, thank you, Jessica. Please tell everyone where they can find out more about you. Well, unfortunately, it's no longer two flights down from Amy. Which I know. Is very sad to me. You can go to goodenoughnow.com. And if you are interested in weird freebies related to the book, you can also go to goodenoughnow.com slash freebies, F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S. Awesome. We'll keep that in the notes, the show notes. And you're also on Facebook and Instagram and probably Twitter. I am barely on the Twitter or the Instagram. Both exist. And I check both of them each day because I was told to. But I am a Gen Xer. So I will see you on Facebook or email. Right. Yeah. I uh, I try. I try to be on as many platforms as possible. <laughs> yeah. I feel authentic. Good Enough Now is on Instagram. Jess Pettit on Twitter. I actually just tagged you on Instagram saying that I was about to interview you. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Oh my God. I, I actually, there's a lot means. of Jessica Pettits, by the way. Did you know that? That I wouldn't um, nope. have thought that there would uh, be a lot, but... Well, this is actually, it's kind of a very funny story. So I, I could look, but at one point, there were four Jessica Pettits, four T's in the last name on Facebook, four of us. You have so two T's? Or sorry, four T's? Two T's, two T's. I know. Who knew? Oh, but shoot. I got to fix that and stuff. <laughs> I care. And I am not dumb. So I own all of the domain names and they all point in the same direction. So oh, you good. Okay. spell it all you want to. Anyway. So there's three other Jessica Pettits that were on Facebook at the time that I was giving a crap about this. And so I reached out to all three of them to be like, oh my God, I'm just going to know. <laughs> so like one of them is, was like a teenager, long distance swimmer. So I was like, well, you're clearly never going to get confused with me. Another one was some kind of like speed skier. And then the third one was in like middle school. And also athletic. I don't know what is up with the athletic. So I didn't get any of the athletic situations. But anyway, so we, I myself, so I created a Facebook group of the real Jessica Pettit stand up before the Eminem song, just for the record. Anyway, what is cool is that we have stayed in touch. So they are now like grown adults because I'm really old oh and like have kids and all that kind of stuff and actually post updates to the real, the real Jessica Pettit stand up. Same thing happened when I wrote my book, when you do the trademarking or whatever, all of the companies that exist that have good enough now in the title, I wrote a letter to and gave them a copy of the book. They all thought I was doing like ceased and assist. And I'm, no, I'm like, thank you for having this concept in your title. That's all. Yeah. One of them is a handyman. I think that's the best name of a handyman service ever. Good enough. Right now. <laughs> that's usually when you need a handyman. It's like right now. <laughs> right. It's duct tape. It's fine. Anyway, um, up in the right. woods too, upstate New York. Anyway. <laughs> all right. I love you. Thank you for being on the podcast. It was awesome to talk to you and reconnect and find out what you're up to these days. And thank you for all the work that you do in this world because we need it. Absolutely ditto. And may we talk before Aiden drives. 
Sounds good. Content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show, website or other platforms, including text, images, audio or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.